Welcome to Diplomacy, the podcast for communications in mergers and acquisitions, brought to you by Corporate Diplomat. With our guests, we will discuss how the financial, economic, political and social context can actually impact the value created by a transaction. My name is Louis de Schallemer, and I will be your host. Welcome to Diplomacy the podcast dedicated to communications in mergers and acquisitions. Our guest today is Vika Vishal. Vika, you're general counsel and member of the executive committee of a Swiss speciality chemical company. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me today. Vika, you are a qualified lawyer and you have gone through a number of M&A transactions in your career, also with your previous stations. Tell us who or what has made the person you are today? That's a very interesting question. Certainly my, my upbringing with the deep belief that as long as I work hard enough and as long as I persevere, I can achieve anything I want. And my bosses and my colleagues who gave me the opportunity to develop and to grow and sometimes even have seen things in me that I was not even aware of or I was not able to see at that moment of time, as well as two very passionate female friends I do have who are like role models for me and who always believed in me and encouraged me. And even still today, they do. So a special thanks to Caroline and Marianne. Wonderful. Is that... That network of colleagues and friends who surround leadership, something that you would say is an opportunity for success in M&A? I think so. For me, definitely it is. I mean, in an M&A transaction, you are not one single person driving or leading the whole thing, right? At the end, it's a team effort. And if you are not able to collaborate and rely on your network and also trust the people you work with, then I think an M&A transaction is, is never, ever a successful transaction. So how do you define the critical components of success? How do you reach success in M&A, if it is worth so simple? Well, I mean, it depends on, on what you are looking at. I mean, if I'm on a, on a sales side and a successful M&A deal is certainly that I sold the business for the seller. And ideally that the buyer is very happy with the target acquired and that all the company goals and plans the company had in selling the business or acquiring the business are achieved. That's a successful M&A transaction. And certainly not only until closing, but even after closing a successful integration of the business or a successful divestment of the business, depending on which side you are. And I have to say, I, I like to acquire more than to sell the business. <laughs> so if you go for the acquiring I imagine that you have kind of a, a filter system. So you, you defined for the business a strategic vision. And in order to support that vision, you will say, okay, we need to acquire something that will help us contribute and, and get there. So how do you build this model 
on the objective, the vision, and then the underlying filters so that you can identify out of maybe 10, 20, 50 targets, potentially, the company where you say that is really the one where we believe will provide us with the right success. How do you go about that method or that approach? I think, first of all, it it starts with a vision, right? And I think there are two aspects on how one can articulate a vision. And first, it has to be aligned with the business values and the business goals. And secondly, by describing it as a journey with key milestones and by keeping the story very simple so that everyone in the organization can understand it and be inspired by it, right? And then I'm not such a big fan of too many predefined selection criteria. This is why I find that question slightly difficult. Of course, every M&A department should have some selection criteria like steady growth rate, product portfolio diversification, and or a niche product or technology one is looking for, profitability history of innovation, market leadership or niche speciality, a management team or a special leader regulatory or environmental issues uh, you are looking for or you are not looking for. But I also believe it depends on the specific target as such. And if you only focus on predefined selection criteria, you might lose an opportunity. And that ties together with business development, where I think in the company I'm currently working in, we recently reshaped that department a little bit. And then it's, it's also the vision of the company. So that ties both, both together. It depends on your, your goals and, and your, your vision. It's an interesting one, this approach, because the predefined versus the opportunity is a challenging discussion when you have to start developing the reason or the drivers on why you want to do that acquisition. So the opportunity, yes, you have to seize opportunities when they come. And on the other hand, you need to make sure that they fit within the strategic the strategic role. So when you develop the reasoning behind a deal, what is it you're looking after? What is it really making, helping you to convince your board? Well, I have to answer it a little bit long-winded, so sorry for that. We are in the specialty chemical sector, right? And we are PE health. So when, when we look at a target, certainly it's, it's the PE interest, right, of our owner. But for us, it's a business interest. And we recently reshaped our business development departments. And I explicitly say departments because we are active in different segments and we brought them closer to our customers. So into the market and into the regions. So when we look at a target, we we would not necessarily go for the big target out there, but we would go what with what fits for our customer strategy and for our business development component, right? And that can either be a technology or that can be a niche product or that can be a totally new segment. And, and this is, it's a very close dialogue between our business and our business people and our business development department and our customer. And that shapes basically the idea on what target we are. It's an interesting one. The question on where the business development 
party or the where does the origination of the idea of the acquisition come from and where do you fit business development so you said you just repositioned your bd department what was the thinking in the way of how you looked at this so before we reshaped it it was more centralized business development right and a lot i mean we are swiss headquartered so a lot of the work was done in in switzerland and we realized that this is far away from our customers and our markets right so we we came up with the idea to bring it closer to our customers and closer to our production sites. And our office locations are not necessarily where our production is or where our customer sits. So this helped us, I think, in in the way forward in in shaping also ideas on, on targets and customer needs. And they are different from region to region, sometimes country by country, and of course, product segment by product segment. So, so that, that is different needs our customers have. And we try to be more supportive to our customers in kind of bringing the business development departments closer to our customers. And this gives me in, in M&A better idea and understanding what our business really needs in growing the business. I mean, growth is always what you are after, right? In, in, in an M&A um, situation, you want to, to grow or you want to specialize. That is for me the two, two components you are, you are looking at. You mentioned also in the conversation that we have had before our recording here that within the organization that you are, and you mentioned it just before, you said the vision has to translate our business values and our business goals. And you articulated how important diversity, sustainability are within your organization's approach. How does that translate into into day-to-day business? I mean, ideally, ESG are not just criteria which help a company differentiate from business as usual, but rather pillars of development which pierce all aspects of the company from teams composition and workspaces to overarching goals of future development and strategy. And I believe that ESG, that the ESG agenda must be embraced and driven by the business and rather than imposed externally through policies and market pressure. As sustainability is at the very heart of our strategy and mission, we have recently strengthened our effort and resources dedicated to this critical topic. And we dedicated especially one resource entirely to sustainability in ESG. So Danielle Bloma shifted her focus and role to place even greater emphasis on leading our global sustainability agenda. And we will even hire or appoint further resources to support our ESG journey and reinforce our efforts and initiatives on the SNG. And I think this is this is also very important in, in an M&A transaction when you look at these aspects, right? And you tie that together with your with your business values and goals and strategy. I mean, we are theoretically talking now, right? But but at the end, these are all the components you, you have to look at from my perspective when you want to conclude a successful MA transaction at the end. So when we look at measurement, the traditional approach is always to be numerical, 
and objective in measurement. That's what we want in an ideal world. However, reality, and in particular, when we're talking about culture, when we're talking about the, the values of an enterprise, it is very difficult to put those down to something objective or numerical. How would you look at subjective, non-numerical success criteria or measurement? Does that make any sense or, or is it just a theoretical discussion again? <laughs> well, I think it's a difficult question, right? And it's, as you said, very subjective. And I think everyone has a little bit of a different view on it. But of course, when you look in an M&A transaction, you always have your KPIs, right, that have to be met. And you always have your numbers that have to be right. But besides that, also like cultural aspects, ESG aspects, and, and all these subjective factors they play in. And from my perspective, the, the key element when I'm looking at in an M&A transaction, I try to have a very diverse team with a lot of background that people bring bring in, right? to balance that subjective factor. And that brings in different elements and, and views on it. And I, I think at the end, that makes a successful M&A transaction. Of course, you always have a subjective factor. But on all those, those subjective elements, you, you can policies in place. How is the culture? You have to speak to the people. And then you get a feeling, is that just a paper exercise? Or is this really what was lived in your target? And is that something that can be integrated in the acquiring company, right? I mean, that's also a very important factor because an M&A transaction always comes with a lot of uncertainty on both sides or both teams. So the acquired team and the acquirer team it comes with a lot of uncertainty. You just mentioned the importance of a diverse team. Putting that forward into leadership and the role of leadership in M&A, one of the most challenging aspects in M&A is this uncertainty that you just mentioned, because until the moment you have an agreement at some stage or some level, that doesn't mean that it translates. It may take weeks, sometimes months, until there is an agreement and the deal is closed. What is the role of leadership overall in, in M&A? And how can leadership really make a difference in managing this uncertainty? Because we know that the way this uncertainty is managed has probably a significant impact on the way you succeed in the integration later on. Yeah. I think leadership has to drive the whole integration. I mean, leadership has to drive the process. And the key element for me here is really the, the communication with the team and the employees throughout the whole process, as transparent as possible. Authority diligence is, is very important, but I think the, the leadership team has to drive that and rather has to over-communicate then not communicate enough. And of course, there are confidentiality aspects, but I'm, I'm a big fan of communication, telling the next steps, defining and explaining the vision where the organization wants to go to. 
and leadership has to be visible during the integration. So the spirit of we are becoming one needs to be felt throughout the organization. And this is a, a very difficult task because integration always comes with that uncertainty on both sides, right? And the challenge is to combine both businesses and to realize the synergies and to not destroy value. And so the leadership team has to have a clear picture on where the journey needs to go and needs to transfer this this message um, properly. And as I said earlier, it's it is very important to communicate during the whole process. And this includes especially integration phase as well, to address it all. And once working, I mean, I can give you an example. I was once working for a company where I, even after years, I mean, I haven't been there when all these acquisitions happened. I joined later. So for me, it was that company. And even several years later, I heard I'm ex this company, I'm ex that company. This is clearly an example um, of an integration that could have been improved, right? So there this this spirit of we are becoming one and we are one wasn't there even years after after the, the integration or the so-called integration. So leadership has to be very present. I think the story you're telling us is is something that many of us have come across where years after an, an acquisition or an integration, there's still your legacy, something here, legacy there. I think that is something that many of us have come across. It's also a cultural aspect, I, I would say, if you allow me to, to add that, right? I mean, it's it's you, you never have in two different companies the same culture. I, I think that is impossible. And then, I mean, you have certain ways to deal with that. Either you leave both cultures in both companies that you are combining, right? But then you have them driving in parallel or separately. Or you say, okay, it's now the culture of the acquirer. Or that decision has to be taken very early on to drive it into the buy-in of all the employees and teams involved. And you also want to make sure that you keep your your key talents in in the combined companies, right? And I think that's that's quite an effort. And from what I've seen in the past, is the focus is on on certainly signing and then closing with all the regulatory work in between, and then the integration. But it's more like a technical integration. Like, can we use the same computer system? What about SAP? Is that or is that or? And it's not so much an effort on integrating the people. And then once integration done, I hardly ever have seen that there is someone called an integration manager that takes care for one, two, three, four years after the transaction, making sure that the target is integrated. And that's also that from a cultural perspective is, is integrated. Who is the owner of a cultural integration? Who is the owner? Where should that fit? Because it is sometimes within communications, but sometimes within HR. And then business says, yeah, they should do it. Where do you feel it fits best from your experience? I would say it's with the business, but because communications can only support what is in the business. Communications has no reason for itself to be there. It's at the service of the business. But where do you feel from your experience? Have you experienced somewhere 
where it really went very well or somebody took it on? Well, I think you are right. It's with the business, but key is also the tone from the top and the leadership here. I mean, the, the core values of the combined company, the culture of that combined company, that has to be driven also by the leadership team. And yes, I mean, for, for really executing it, that is with the business. And I share your view that HR, communication, legal, and all the support functions, they can just support but they are not the driver here. And I think that is something that has to be understood right from the beginning because you cannot start, from my perspective, that's my personal view, you cannot start thinking about integration and how you want to set up culture and the way forward and how you want to work with each other on day one after closing. That's far too late. Basically, you have to have, when you, you identified your target, already on the way to the signing you have to think about what do i do here and then latest on the day of the signing you have to start working on that integration and on on that whole package that comes with it because otherwise i think it's too late and that is i mean i'm a lawyer right it's not my key competence here but from what i've seen it's very often overlooked or underestimated how much effort it needs we tend to say you have to start with the end. Basically, you start with the vision, where does the business want to be in two years' time? And then you have a backwards planning on what does it take to get there. And then you will start with legal at the very beginning because the way you do your deal and whatever arrangements you make will have an impact or can have a significant impact on the outcome later on. So if you have, depending on where you want to go, you need to negotiate the deal differently. Yeah, I agree. So if you look back, at least for some of the transactions, we see now a significant impact of digital, be it in the way how there are tools, artificial intelligence, a lot of that happens in the, in the legal space. So when you have your SPAs and whatever was 500 pages, you will have your artificial intelligence filling in the blanks, kind of. And at the same time, we have tools that help us manage the projects where you say, done, 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 and you can see the green lights happening and blowing up, whatever happens. How do you see the M&A business and transactions evolve over the time? And what do you expect for the future to come? Well, I'm not that that old, right? But I still recall the times. Uh, I, I know my first M&A transaction, we were sitting basically in a cellar with a lot of paperwork, right, and folders. And we were, we were going through those papers day by day over weeks. That was my first M&A transaction. And nowadays that never, ever happens, right? Even can conclude I once did a deal in New Zealand. I never visited New Zealand for a single second, right? I was, I was doing it completely remote. And I think the pandemic has shown us that we can also do a lot remotely what we thought before we cannot do. I still believe that AI is not there to really fully negotiate an SPA. Um, it's, it's certainly helping at, at the beginning, but it still needs some smart brain around uh, certain clauses. 
I mean, you are right. We have fully virtual data rooms, right? And a lot of the analysis is done that way. Also with AI, digitalization, even signing. I recall the massive signing actions where you kind of also initialed every page of an agreement. So I once was in a transaction where for two days we did nothing else than initialing pages before we even signed. I think that will completely done. You use tools like DocuSign or Adobe Sign or whatever they are called. And you do that, you do that virtually, which is more efficient, right? It's a time game. And I think that's the future. And I still believe that you need a lawyer in future and the machine cannot do my work, but maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. <laughs> Yes, we, we all hope that we can still contribute something to with our experience and intelligence to make things better. Absolutely, I think so. And I mean, sometimes it's just a human factor, right? When, when you conduct a site visit, when you get an impression of the people there, I think that is something that a machine cannot do for us. And of course, you can you can check all the boxes. Is the policy in place? Are the safety measures right? Is the regulatory aspect fine? You can do all that, but you get an impression on how a business works and how it functions and how the people work and how the people function. And I think that will still be an an important an important part of the transaction. It is the question about trust trust building with with the other side and with the people on the other side whom you have to, to take on to the future. Silke, I have written down the following lessons I learned during our conversation. So the most interesting one, which I picked up, because it's a topic that comes back in the conversations quite often, is your tendency to say, well, yes, we need a clear plan and structure in processing M&A. And at the same time, it is very important to keep the eyes open for opportunities. You're probably one of my guests who has been the most outspoken in, in being open to seize opportunities, and I like that. Thank you very much for that encouragement because opportunities are there. We can't hide. Yes, we know what the market, we know our competitors, we know who is playing, and still things move so fast, so quickly, you can't prepare for everything. Yeah, I fully agree. And this is what I what I like to work with our business because sometimes they come with an idea and they they uh, use you as a sparing partner or they bounce it off and they are super excited. And from a rational point of view or, or just purely looking at it, it might not be a super fit, right? But once you are listening to them and you, and you understand that comes back to what I said earlier, you have to really understand the business. As a lawyer, yes, I, I can work with paper a lot and all my clauses, but I have to really understand the business, what they are doing. Otherwise, my agreement is not a very good agreement because I do not understand what exactly they are doing. And this is something you have to pay attention to. And yeah, I, I like to have criteria. I'm super planner. I'm super organized, but I learned that one has to not close the eyes regarding the opportunities you have. I like that. And the second one, which we can combine two other aspects, was the responsibility of leadership and the richness, that diversity in, in backgrounds within the leadership team and within your broader team can bring because it helps you making better decisions, more, more diverse 
input that helps you building a better consensus. So I, I like that one very much in our conversation as well. So Silke, I'm, I will ask you the, the, the closing question that I asked to all of our guests, which is if you had one advice on MA, what would be the one thing you would say is really important or the thing that practitioners should think of and do? If there's one thing that you could have wishful thinking for? Well, it's a difficult question. It's not a, a real advice on like, do that and then you have a successful MA transaction. So that's n- nothing like that. I would not qualify a person to answer such a question. But what I think is enjoy what you are doing and understand the business and question certain things, right, that you get presented and keep your eyes open and enjoy enjoy what you are doing. I think that's the advice I can give, yeah. Thank you, Silke. This was wonderful. That was exactly the wise words that I was looking for from you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us today at Diplomacy. Hope to speak to you very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Diplomacy. Please explore our website www.corporate-diplomat.com or our LinkedIn page. I hope you have enjoyed. Feel free to subscribe and hit the follow button. Have a great day.